First Thessalonians, the fifth chapter, beginning to read at the twelfth verse. But we beseech you, brethren, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we exhort you, brethren, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophesying, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Amen. God's program in the world is to make saints out of sinners. And he does this in a very unique way, which some people just can't seem to understand. He makes us clean, washes us, forgives us. Through the atonement, the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. And then he gives unto us, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. To, as in the words of Paul, perfect the saints. This is a process that does not happen once and then stop. But it is a growing process. And it behooves those of us who claim the promise of Jesus, who really believe that we have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and that Christ died for us, to be conscious of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, as he is working in our midst to perfect our sainthood and to sanctify us, and to be sensitive to the leading of his Spirit, to the destiny for which we have been created. And one of the things that I think we need to be reminded of from time to time is that we are capable of quenching that Spirit of the living God. 
We can choke out, subdue, stifle the activity of his spirit in our presence. And what I would like you to do with me today and in the days forthcoming is to think of practical ways that we can quench the Holy Spirit so that we can avoid such temptations and not stifle the life and kill the flame of the Spirit within us. When we meditate and brood over this particular passage of Paul where he is encouraging the Christians of Thessalonica not to quench the Spirit, what was he trying to say? Now, in Bible study, I believe he qualifies this in the words which follow that particular instruction not to in, not to quench the Spirit. His indication is that we can quench the Spirit when we despise prophesying. Now, I think that needs some clarification. What is prophesying? From biblical studies, I believe prophesying has to do not only with predicting the future, as most of us like to limit prophecy to that particular concept, but it has more to do with foretelling a truth. And if I were going to advise you on what the meaning Paul has of despising the prophecy or prophesying, I would suggest to you that what he is saying is do not despise new truth new ideas, new concepts, revelation which God is sending. Don't be too quick to despise and rule out these teachings that come through his spirit. Remember in John's Gospel, when Jesus is talking about this great mighty power which we call the Holy Spirit, that Jesus said, There are yet many things that I would say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. But the Spirit of truth, when he comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now I interpret that to mean that God, by his Holy Spirit, is still speaking and still leading people into new truth. I believe, along with those who think that when God finished inspiring the people to write this holy word, his Bible, God did not close up shop. He did not shut his mouth. He did not lose his voice. But God, by the power of his Spirit, is still speaking to the world today. And he is speaking to those who have sensitivity to hear God as he's speaking. Now, if this is true, then you see you've got to be open to the possibility of new truth. And this is very difficult for us. It seems we like things all wrapped up in neat little boxes. And sometimes God just cannot be boxed in. We like the status quo. 
change is difficult, and I think it ought to be. But you must be willing to change if God is the agent through his Holy Spirit if he tells us to change. And God does send down his word through modern-day prophets to lead us in that new truth which he said his Holy Spirit would lead us into. So consequently, we must be willing to live on that edge of expectancy, to see new truth as it is coming to us. But you see, our problem is how do we know which voice to trust? How do we know these new ideas, these new concepts, if they are of God, or if they are from some evil force? That's our dilemma. Every one of us knows someone who really has made a wreck out of his life simply because he could not take advice from anyone. He refused to learn anything new. But we also know people, don't we, whose wreck in life was caused simply because they took advice from everybody. They listened to everything new. They've been tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They are whoever they last talked to. Their theology is based upon the last conference speaker or upon the last sermon they heard. They're hoppers, they're jumpers. And the problem in the world today is when we are trying to be open to the Spirit of God, how can we be sure it is God speaking when something new is introduced. We quench the Spirit, though, when we despise any new truth. But God helps us here by the power of his Spirit, I believe, when he, when he instructs us through Paul to test everything, including the new things that come. Test these spirits to see if they be from God. That's the way you tell whether or not God is bringing a new truth or whether some evil force is trying to get a new idea across. This is the way you do it. You test everything, everything. You test it by the only criteria that we have of God the revelation that he already has given to us, and I mean the revelation in this holy word through the scriptures. That's how you do it. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not an easy task. Not easy at all, because there probably is no more difficult thing in the world to understand and comprehend than God's holy word, the Bible. I know that is distressing to some of you, but the more I study the Bible, the more I work with people in trying to help them study the Bible, the more I am convinced that there is absolutely nothing as difficult to understand as the Word of God through the Scriptures. This is an adult book. I think you really have to be an adult to fully understand it, and you can't understand it without the helps, the tools, and the skills that God has blessed down through the sanctuary, down through the sanctuaries, to help us in our interpretations. 
You'd be surprised the number of things that I hear people say that are biblically based. Poor God. <laughs> he gets blamed for so many things, and he is ignored for so many things that he does do. Poor Holy Spirit. He's blamed for so many things that he's accused of instigating which I think he doesn't have anything to do with whatsoever. How do we know this? Through the study of God's holy word. You test everything, but you test it according to the word of God as it has been revealed and fulfilled in the teachings of the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. You see, this book can prove anything. If anybody knows a little bit about Scripture, he can prove any point he wants with Scripture, if he takes it out of context. And that seems to be a favorite method, I find, of people who are trying, really, to stand for God, but who misinterpret God's Word. This is the thrill that I've seen through Bethel. So many people have come and said, for the first time, they have been able to see an overview of Scripture because of Bethel. Praise the Lord. And I'm awfully glad that the Christian Education Committee is going to begin another Bethel series in the fall of this year as a part of the Academy for those of you who have missed it or have joined the Church since last we started the Bethel series. This is what you have to have. You see, there are developments, there are strands, there are concepts which grow and mature throughout the teaching of Scripture. And unless you see these and understand these, it's very easy to get mixed up with the means and make them ends as themselves. You've got to take the total picture of Scripture. And you take that total picture of Scripture fulfilled in Jesus Christ and you use that as the criteria upon which you judge and test everything. What I'm saying is simply this, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know Scripture in its entirety, the New Testament fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, you quench the Spirit of God. And we quench the Spirit of God when after, after we have tested everything against the revelation we have received, we do not hold to those things which are good. You see, in testing everything against Scripture, that's not an easy task. I've tried to point that out. And you just can't take a verse of Scripture and immediately find its answer. And I've told you before about people who have tried to do that, you know, the classic story. The individual who, who opened his Bible and thought he could just pick out any verse and that would be God speaking revelation to him. He opened the Bible and closed his eyes and ran his finger down across the page and, and he opened up what he thought was God's word to him and it said, and Judas went out and hanged himself. 
And he thought, no, that, that, that couldn't be God's word to me. I'll try it a second time, and he did it a second time. And, and this time when he opened his eyes, the place that his finger had stopped was the verse, go and do likewise. And the third time he thought, surely God can't mistake, make a mistake third time. The verse that his eye fell upon when he opened it was, what thou doest, do quickly. <laughs> well, that's humorous, yes, but it's very tragic, very tragic. Because some of us try to use the word of God instead of allowing the word of God to use us. And there's a big difference. And when you allow the word of God, by the power of his Holy Spirit, to reveal a new truth unto you, then and only then do you have the confidence to say, this is right. <clears throat> this is wrong. We quench the Spirit when we do not hold fast to those things that have been revealed unto us as being right. And my personal feeling is that that's one of the problems with the church today. We somehow get the idea that just because something is old, it's old-fashioned. Just because something has been used, we think it is worn out. And there can be absolutely nothing further than the truth. God's word is eternal. God's spirit is eternal. And God needs people who know his word and are led by his spirit to say today, thus saith the Lord. And when something's wrong, call it wrong. Not on your own opinion, not out of your own prejudice, but because you have wrestled with that new truth and it cannot be substantiated by the word of God and that's what makes it wrong. Hold fast to that which is good. And likewise, when something new comes and you test it by the authority of Scripture and it can be substantiated with the teachings of Jesus Christ, hold to it, hold to it, and don't let it go. Now, this is difficult because it sometimes means we have to change our attitudes on things like race relationships, about the place of women in the church about forgiving that person who you don't want to forgive. It means that we have to take a stand, sometimes when we don't want to take a stand. It means when we have to speak, when we'd rather remain silent. It means that we are led by the Spirit of God. <coughs> when sometimes we're filled with the spirit of fear. Cling to that which is good, abhor that which is evil. And it's so difficult sometimes for us to give up those things that we'd like to hang on to just a little bit longer. Those evil things that we already convinced by scripture are wrong for us. But I know. <laughs> We want to hang on to them. We're like that man 
who wrote to the Internal Revenue Service, Dear sirs, I can't sleep. Enclosed is $50. If I still can't sleep, I'll send you the balance. <laughs> We're people. We want the peace. But we don't want to pay the price. So they're limping through life because we quenched the Holy Spirit. And poor God, he's trying so hard to help us, to lead us into new truth. But we quench him. And his spirit, though alive in the world, trying to get through, does not get through us. The other day I read about a man who had this to say, religion for my grandfather was an experience. For my father it was a tradition, for me it's a nuisance. And you know, as I talk with people of all ages, it seems that's the commentary on religion in the world today. We're tired. The zest, the enthusiasm, the flame of expectancy. It doesn't seem to be there. The joy, the happiness. It's missing. The confidence to be able to stand in the face of all form of evil. And say, as Martin Luther did, I find it neither right nor safe to go against the dictates of my conscience or the word of God. Here I stand. The ability to call evil, evil. And not to shrink away from the opposition. This isn't here much anymore. Is God dead? They tried to tell us that in the 60s. Now, he, he's not dead. I think God is working as hard today as he's ever worked in all of his life. But the problem is the lifeline between the creator and the creation has been quenched. And the spirit is not bearing fruit. But that's not his fault. You know whose fault it is. Think about that with your Sunday dinner. Amen and amen. Our Father and our God, we come before you in a world that desperately needs to feel your presence. Father, we know through Jesus Christ, your word made flesh, that you love the world so much that you sent your Son so that we might have life. But Father, it doesn't seem to be here. Help us to see why, and help us to see what we can do about it. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with all of you now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs>